Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tennessee on Supply Chain Management podcast. Great to have you here. We are actually at the University of Tennessee Global Supply Chain Institute Supply Chain Forum. First time we've been back together since November of 2019. We've got almost 300 people attending these sessions here between our industry partners and UT faculty and staff and students. Great show, talking about a lot of topics around the hallways, obviously talking about risk management and how COVID has impacted us all over the last couple of years. And one of the big topics everyone's talking about that we thought would be worth some time to, to dig into a little bit is this whole topic of talent management and talent scarcity, too. Yeah, you're right, Ted. It is just great to be back together one place at one time. You know, just to have uh, friends and alums and even get us faculty together one place at one time is, is fantastic. But as you point out, every now and then we like to shed a, an intense light on an issue. And something that has been generating a lot of concern, conversation, is the search for talent and, and trying to attract that talent, retain it, and develop it. You know, once you, you're fortunate to acquire it. And uh, we've got a, a panel of young professionals that our very own Lance Saunders is hosting tomorrow. We thought this would be a great opportunity for us to bring the assembly from that panel together. And so, Lance, can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to do on that panel tomorrow? Yeah, so we're going to be focused on data analytics on the panel tomorrow. It's something you know we struggle with in our department, how to balance the, the content knowledge they need as they enter these careers with the analytical skill sets they're also going to need to really up the analysis they're able to bring to these companies they start a career. And so we have a group of people very early in their careers, and we're going to talk to them about what they're glad they know, what they wish they knew, and where they see the field moving forward, specifically focused on analytics. But like I said, these are a group of young professionals that their companies have identified as somebody that would be good to talk to about this. So we thought it'd be good to bring them in here to just talk in general about uh, not just analytics, but in general, what they think students coming out and companies need to be looking for as people enter the supply chain workforce. And I'll let them go around and... Yeah, I was going to say, let's broaden this in general to some of their thoughts on their transition from being college students or whatever they did before, and then going into the professional world. So yeah, let's have your panelists introduce themselves. Yeah, thank you all. So I'm first up, I'm Todd Kaywood. Um, I've been with Eastman Chemical Company since 2019. I'm currently a transformation analyst in the global supply chain uh, organization within Eastman. Uh, my bachelor's is in mathematics. I got it in 2013 and then graduated from University of Southern California in 2018 with a degree in financial engineering. So I think I'm the only one of the group not from UT and I'm kind of a transplant really into logistics and supply chain. So glad to be here. and Thank you for having me. Plus, before we're done, you have to explain what the heck financial no, that's engineering exactly right. is. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Great to have you. Chris? Yeah, thanks, Ted and Tom. Great to be here. Uh, excited to be talking here and then talking on the panel tomorrow. I'm Chris Qualls, working with uh, Denso uh, down in our, our Maryville, Tennessee plant. I've been with Denso for about four years. I uh, work in their North American Logistics Planning Group. Graduated from UT back in 2018 with uh, Supply Chain and Business Analytics. Great. Caroline? Yeah, my name is Caroline Jones. I graduated from the University of Tennessee in 2020, so just a couple of years ago. Did you actually ago. graduate? You didn't have a graduation, if uh, I remember. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, that's yeah. Right. actually, let's not talk about that, yeah. Lance. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I work for BP. I work for their oil trading operations team up in Chicago, supporting the physical execution of, of the trading organization at BP. 
And by the way, to go with the theme, Todd, Lance Saunders here on, on our faculty has like 23 degrees from, from University of Tennessee. Is that right? Six, All except your PhD from Virginia Tech. That's true. 16, I'm trying to be with Peyton. <laughs> <laughs> so that averages out with me then. So hey, Peyton who? <laughs> <laughs> you know, as just the introduction uh, to our panelists really helps to underscore, one, they're probably dealing with some pretty complex dynamic problems where analytical skill sets would be very, very helpful. And just hearing the titles, and yeah, I do want to understand what financial engineering is uh, too, so we got to make sure that we, we don't let you off the hook sure. there, Todd, get an answer to that eventually here. But, you know, very different array of companies, different titles as we, we went around the introductions there. But it occurs to me that we provide training in our programs that just kind of say, hey, whatever you enter into, you know, here's the skill set, knowledge base. We're, I don't want to say feeding into your heads. Uh, I like to make it more dynamic than that. But meanwhile, we're, we're kind of, I don't want to say providing a one-size-fits-all solution, but that is our task at the university is to try to prepare, prepare you for anything. And, and maybe this is an opportunity for you to be a little bit critical, not at just, you know, of SUT, but also, you know, academic institutions. They're like, how far do you think we can go in terms of preparing you for what you've seen? And what have you had to kind of pick up on your own since taking on a, a new gig? And so, Chris, I'm going to just call on you at Denzo. And you are, you are one of our products, uh, again, as you said. But what uh, you know, did we help you to, to grasp when you were walking into that job? And what did you have to pick up on your own? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as you said, when you're going into these, these jobs, you never really know exactly what you're walking into. And, you know, so many companies do everything so differently. You know, there's not really a standard for supply chain or, or transportation or warehousing that really can be taught. You really have to, you know, teach the concepts and the basics. And, you know, you walk in kind of with your eyes wide open and, and trying to learn as much as you possibly can from those concepts that you've learned. You know, I spent a lot of my time starting at Denso, just, just learning how they do transportation and uh, logistics and warehousing. You know, I think UT did a great job of preparing for those supply chain concepts. Yeah, and and, and meanwhile, Todd, you say you came from a math background, mm -hmm. so you had the, the basic skills, if you will, and a readiness to maybe apply it to whatever problems you might face. But what was your own eagerness or receptivity to the problems that were kind of thrown into your lap? Yeah, well, it's 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 very interesting to to tackle supply chain kind of as a whole it's a beast that that if you're not in supply chain you have no idea what's going on really it's it's kind of its own niche in, in that way so coming in fresh with no supply chain no logistics background was is definitely a learning curve but at the time whenever i first started in logistics i was i was handling all the north american claims um, i was handling all of the procurement events globally through through various rfps and rfqs that we were conducting and really doing all the analysis for that so Obviously, I don't have the background from UT or, or from any university to, to speak to how supply chain programs really prepare the students. But I will say in my conversations with the variety of, of people that I work with, uh, both internally and externally, it was interesting to see how some of the basic understanding of a variety of topics is understood. You know how to do Excel. You know how to get into it and build a table and format it and you know all this stuff and make it look pretty. Everybody knows how to do that for the most part. But when it comes down to what is really truly helpful in Excel, what is really truly helpful in Power BI beyond just the skin of it, um, I was kind of surprised to see how little understanding there was. 
kind of across the board. And honestly, even in my own understanding, you know, I had no experience in Power BI coming previously. It wasn't part of math and, and finance that I was doing at the time. So being able to truly train myself even in the midst of these various job problems that are going on in supply chain, you have to be very agile with the data. And so having these tools in your tool belt, Excel, Power BI, whatever, is very important. Yeah. Lance, I want to come back to you in a minute about that because I know that you're teaching a lot of those skills to our undergrads and you've got some real strong takes on it. Before we do that, though, Caroline, you're in a real different industry as well. Yeah. So we've got, you know, kind of a parts and auto parts industry uh, guy from Chris. We've got continuous process boutique chemicals with Eastman, with Todd. And you come into it from kind of this giant global petroleum company, which I'm sure has lots of different aspects. So what's your take? On? Didn't she take SCM 474, which is oil transportation and storage? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> that would have been helpful. <laughs> yeah. So, if um, she was prepared, she had me. And if she's not prepared, she had Ted Stank. Uh-huh. I'm just, uh-huh. just going to say that before she answers. Yeah. Um, I So I, I joined a, a different career path, I would say, than a lot of supply chain grads, that, or at least my peers that I knew were going into. Because, yeah, what I'm doing is very fundamental supply chain. Like, I'm moving oil. Well, I'm not physically moving it, but I am, I am managing the, the movement big tank of it. truck that you drive. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't drive trucks, unfortunately. I, maybe I should go that route, considering where the market's I at. I it's a job for it right now. So. But yeah, so so yeah, uh, I think the kind of the, the financial spin uh, or focus on the industry that I walked into, it was something that was very new to me, and so there was a very steep learning curve for me because of that. I didn't really know what commodities trading entailed before I walked into my job. I just knew that it sounded cool. But where I think UT prepared me very well was just the overarching concepts, like just like shipping terms. We call them something different in pipeline scheduling, but it's still just Mm -hmm. like understanding like title transfer. And (laughs) Dr. Reinhardt did a great job of preparing me in that regard. Um, So I think the high level strategy as far as like understanding supply chain UT does a fantastic job of something where I think I struggled with coming in to kind of bring it into analytics was data transformation, because we don't get pretty data in our industry. Like I'm getting data from like 10 different sources and I'm trying to make sense of it. Like Lance taught me very well how to visualize that data, how to make it make sense, how to make smart decisions based on that data. But unfortunately, because it's kind of difficult in the classroom setting, we always got clean data. So I was trying to teach myself through things like Power Query, macros. How do I get that data to a digestible format? And I mean, yeah, I think I've gotten better at it. It's a skill that I've refined, but definitely something that I I don't know that I was totally prepared for how difficult that was and how important of an aspect it is of analytics. So, yeah, I, I was teaching yesterday uh, basic inventory theory. Mm-hmm. And I joke with the students, I say, you know, we kind of do you a disservice because you need basic things you take for granted. They're always in the problem, like what's average demand? But most companies don't have, you know, a post it note on the wall somewhere that says average demand is 50.27 per week. Yeah. It's actually, you have to go find that. But in school, it's just always in the problem. Yeah. And you take it for granted that, you know, they don't put that on a post-it note on everybody's desk, what that is. 
And to take it a step further than that, getting the data is one thing, but a lot of these things, we want it daily, right? So I can create this awesome Power BI dashboard, but if I'm having to copy and paste 15 Excel spreadsheets into it every day to make it usable, then that's not very effective. So like to take it a step further, how do we automate this stuff? How do we get it? If it's data coming in from an email, how do we create a code that can you know take that email attachment, automatically download it to a folder, and then that folder feeds into a Power BI or something along those lines. I didn't know any of that, like coming into my career. And that's not to say I wasn't taught a lot of amazing things, but those are difficult concepts to teach, right? Because all businesses use different platforms to do that. I mean, there are some kind of main ones, but that might be like one of the greatest challenges that you guys might have the potential to tackle. And maybe it's more of an analytics thing than supply chain, but it's definitely an issue facing everyone, I think. You know, one of the biggest challenges we have, and this is really hard for, for folks, particularly senior leaders who have been out of school for a while. We had a session one time at one of our advisory boards and they started talking about all the things that you all need to be taught in an undergraduate program. And it came out to like 164 credit hours of just supply chain, right? Well, we have 120 hours in an undergraduate curriculum, right? 60 of those are mandated to be general university type, uh, you know, liberal arts and things like that. So then we have 60 hours, half of your time in an undergraduate program in business in general. And we feel really strongly that all our students need to have some marketing and some finance and some accounting and some economics, et cetera. So that leaves us with a real limited amount of time to teach you supply chain management. So we're constantly reevaluating what we're teaching and what's redundant and how do we teach new things, et cetera. These kinds of conversations are really good for us to focus in on the things you need. And maybe sometimes we just need to come up with a listing to say, here's things you need to go take and AWS course on or something like that. They're all free out there to get yourself skills on because we don't have time to teach it to you, but you need it. So Todd, what, you know, what you come at it with another side, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it's also important to, to realize, you know, Caroline was mentioning, you know, 10 different sources for data, but what if your data changes in the middle of using it? What if you have this beautiful dashboard that's prepared in Power BI, or if you have all the extraction automated from your emails or whatever the case may be, you have a new vendor. Or, or the current vendor changes their data source or their data type and gives you no context. So it's very important to be able to have that, that head on your shoulders to be able to understand the data that you have, even out of context, so that you can take it, internalize it, normalize it, and then present something that is useful to the management team, to the executive team, to whomever needs to be able to actually consume that data. Yeah, and it also occurs to me, you know, not only are the data unstructured and, and kind of ugly hard to mess with, but just getting your hands wrapped around what the problem is. Lance, I'm going to pick up on, on your average daily demand. Are we talking about at the item level, at the product family yes, level? I was thinking that <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, what region? What? exactly, right? I mean, there's so many different units of analysis at which you could tackle. How have you all kind of had to deal with that as you've gone from textbook situation, if you will, where there's a problem and we're looking for an answer? to one where you've got to script the problem or you've got to have some back and forth to understand what's the real insight that I need to bring forward to, to management to, to, to make a call on something. Because that's, you know, that, that strikes me as a very different uh, kind of inquiry than, than what we would necessarily provide in our universities. Chris, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, visibility is always, you know, the forefront of 
the goal that we're trying to do with all of this data. Collecting the data sometimes is the problem, but a lot of times we collect more data than we ever know what to do with. The goal really is how do we take all this data, all this massive amount of data that we're taking, and consume it down to where we can ultimately make a decision or we can ultimately visualize it and prepare to give it to you know a management member or an executive team to make a decision. But, that, but that's the, the, the real key, right? It, there's no doubt that we're able to capture more data than ever before. And I've heard the expression, I, I think, more than once in the last few days about being data rich and information poor. But ultimately, in terms of informing that decision, and even just what decision are we even trying to make in the first place, yeah. right? Because you can get really inundated and, and maybe even a little enamored with, with data. And, and maybe that's kind of sorting out what's garbage, <laughs> what's useful, and, and how do we then leverage it to, to ultimately move the organization forward. I don't know. Maybe that's where financial engineering comes in. <laughs> that's something I'm trying to figure out eventually where that's going to come into play here. But th- there just seems like, again, the complexity of the problems with which we're dealing with in supply chain is, is getting no simpler. And meanwhile, the opportunities to create value in supply chain are, are so great as well. And so it seems that, I know, Lance, maybe the analytics panel can kind of get to this tomorrow, but what skills are we providing folks to understand the nature of the problem and, and the nature of the insights that we need to advance the organization? I think a lot of companies get enamored with, you know, analytics is this, the savior of everything. And what I hear from all these students is, you know, bigger algorithms can help. But a lot of it is just basic data cleanup, putting it in a format that people can turn data into information and make better decisions. Are, are you using advanced tools to scrape data, you know, RPAs, things like that, or, or no? We are not here at Eastman, um, at least not in the team that I'm working with. Uh, a lot of it is manual efforts or we find the consistencies in the inconsistencies, which is kind of what financial engineering is. Being able to quantify the randomness actually in the stock market is, is where that ties in. But it also applies here. The inconsistencies that you see happen with some sort of regularity. So once you identify those, then you can mitigate those away. I think Caroline said something interesting a few minutes ago where she said, I had to learn this. We can't teach you every tool out there, but what we can do is prepare you to learn and be inquisitive and have the initiative to go and, hey, I need to figure this out. I'm going to go figure this out. And you talked about Excel earlier. They take an Excel class in our program on their sophomore year, and they learn to click buttons. They don't know why they're clicking the buttons. They're clicking buttons, and they click the buttons, and they get an A. Then they get to us our junior year that Ted and I have, and they have no clue what they were doing or why. They know they did a VLOOKUP. They don't know why they did a VLOOKUP. They know how to do a pivot table. They don't know what the heck a pivot table is. Mm -hmm. Um, I did it in class the other day. They need to do something. And they were like, I don't know how to do this. I'm like, yeah, you do. It's called a pivot table. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's something I did a year ago. (laughs) But they don't know why it's useful. And I tell them this is why we do Excel in our class, even though it's not the best tool by far, because we say there is a skill set in understanding how to do stuff in Excel. That sounds really ambiguous, but just figuring out I have this problem. I have this data. I need to figure out how to turn it into something in Excel or use this. Just figuring out how to do stuff in Excel is a skill set that employers will pay for every single day of the week and twice on Sunday. And and, and I think probably all of you will, this will resonate with. But the other thing we tell them all the time is look at your data. Find the patterns in your data before you ask 
Excel to, you know, write some algorithm or a macro to solve it for you. Look at your data and see what the data is saying. Yeah, I, I would also like to add, um, and this is geared towards, you know, the people who are still in, in college, like organizations don't expect you to come in as a 22-year-old and create some sophisticated regression model. Maybe Todd did that. <laughs> but I That's certain- financial engineering. <laughs> I, I certainly didn't. And I think, like, you would be shocked by how many, like, quick wins there are. Like, you don't have to have all of this, like, crazy analytical background to be able to like add value. Like you may not come in and in your first year, save the company a million dollars, but there are just simple things. Like just for an example, I work in the trucking area. When I got into the desk, I started looking at our freight rates and using some quick pivot tables uh, that took me about half an hour. I realized "Hmm, trucking company A is charging us wait time fees on every single load. Trucking company B is taking the same loads to the same location, and they're not charging us wait time fees. That was very simple. That didn't require a lot of deep analytics. And I literally call up Paula Ray and I'm like, hey, can y'all please stop doing this or I'm going to have to quit using you. And it's like, okay, a quick 10K a month saved quick win. And like my, my manager, it's ROI for your salary the first year. Well, right? yeah, I mean, it's, it's pocket change for a big corporation, but you know, it took me an hour. And if I do that 10 times, you know, yeah. in the course of a year, like, then there you go. And it, seriously, like a senior, someone in college could have looked at that data and gotten the same conclusion. But it's it. partly bandwidth. It's partly, I'm going to put myself on report mm-hmm. here, 62 years old, right? I'm aging out of a lot of analytical methods that I'm just not as familiar with. And particularly, the further away that you get from them, the less comfortable you are with looking at the numbers. And so it's really important, I think, that Young professionals bring that kind of new skill set, fresh ideas from an analytics standpoint into the business. But let's pivot briefly. I know we, we have to wrap up before too long here, but let's pivot briefly and get each of you to kind of say, aside from the analytics side of things, what things were you well prepared for and not well prepared for that you wish you'd had more? And we'll keep in mind that some of you entered the workforce during a very curious time as well, right? And it was hard for any of us to really prepare for uh, working in the throes of pandemic and maybe doing so remotely. And I'm just curious, are how many of you are in person versus remotely at this point? I'm kind of a hybrid, but I was completely remote for the first year and a half or so of, of my career. Um, just started going into the office a few months ago, and it was a challenge, to say the least. I have always considered myself pretty outgoing and extroverted, and I weirdly found myself when I joined the workforce remotely that I lacked a lot of confidence when nobody had their cameras turned on. Like I was so afraid to ask questions because I didn't know these people. I couldn't get a good idea of the team culture. Like I kind of like felt like I was turning into a different person. So I had to step back and kind of evaluate that and say, this is an uncomfortable spot for me. I'm going to have to break out and, and take the extra time to just help get to know you with people. Yeah, it's virtual and it kind of makes it awkward, but I have to do that. And but yeah, even still, I, I feel like I missed out on some learnings just, you know, by not being in the office. I mean, I work in a big open trade floor and it's like traders yelling at people all day. And like <laughs> Literally, like some of the best learning I get now in the office is just hearing those side conversations. Are there any financial engineers? <laughs> I, you know, I'm sure there are. They might not have that specific title, but yeah. yes. Um. They don't want to own up to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Chris, what about you? Uh, 
Are you uh, working in office or remote or hybrid? Yeah, yeah. So we are also hybrid. So, you know, so it's interesting. Right after I graduated from UT, I graduated in 2018 and then went right to Denso. So, you know, this was Mm pre-pandemic. So we were in the office, you know, every day of the week. And then a year or two in, COVID happens, we go home. My boss tells me, hey, we're going home for two weeks. And then 18 months later, uh, we're still at home. I haven't been back to the office um, oh, you're and, not back yet? Uh, well, so we we went back to the office a couple of days a week uh, starting last summer. So we've okay. been so we've been a you know two three days a week here and there. It w- it was during that time you know that I was tracking it and I realized that you know I had been a remote employee longer than I was an in person employee, even though I started you know almost two years before the pandemic and didn't really know going into this that. Not only was I going to be a, become a remote employee, everyone was going to become a remote employee. Todd, what's your situation? We are uh, back in person. We've been back in person. I guess it was about summer of, of 2021 that we came back in person as well. Took a little stint at home when Omicron really flared up pretty, pretty strongly, but we're back in person fully now, uh, save for one hybrid day that has been allowed. You know, We were discussing earlier in one of the mega sessions that, that none of the CEOs were uh, going back to a permanent fully in in person uh, since because they realize that the importance of being able to work in a hybrid kind of situation still exists. And and that's the case here as well. So to your other question as well of how was I underprepared or well-prepared, you know, after exiting college, one key phrase that the Dean of the Math Department at Carson said in one particular class session that I will never forget is that he indicated, you don't have to know everything about math. And this is applicable for anything. It doesn't have to be just math. You don't have to know everything about math. I want to get you to the point to where you have mathematical maturity. Meaning, if you don't understand something, you can open up a math textbook, you can read it, know what you're reading, and be able to actually digest it at that point. And I think that's applicable for supply chain. That's applicable for data analysis, so on and so forth. Honestly, that kind of helped me overcome being underprepared that academia has a hard time in preparing her students in is creative thinking strategic thinking as well, especially in kind of the analysis type of world. A lot of us are just looking at the numbers, but how do you take that out of the status quo? How do you take that out of the, we do this because we do this type of mentality that is is a dangerous trap that we often, all of us fall into. Yeah. I I think those are some words of wisdom, certainly. And and to the extent that, and that's to say that the the liberal arts education that we provide in those first 60 hours are important because that's where you help to develop those critical thinking skills. And then we get to be more and more applied. So there is some reason to the madness of, of 128 credit hours. And, and then maybe we bring our students to that level of supply chain maturity, just as your professor spoke of the mathematical maturity. And for all other things, we just give them Lance Saunders phone number <laughs> right. yeah. and, and they can take care of the rest. But hey, I think that's a that's a good note maybe for us to close out. What do you think, Ted? Yeah, I think that's that's really good. Some words of wisdom. So professors do provide some value, even if it was, we're going to steal the words from the math dean at Carson Newman. I think that was really brilliant. Well, thank you all for being with us. I'm really looking forward to the panel discussion tomorrow. You all make us look good as long as we keep bringing talented people in and don't screw you all up too badly. You go out and do great things and, and it brings great credit to your institutions. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget, listeners, gsci at utk.edu with your questions, comments, critiques, anything, anything that's on your mind. Us.